Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. In Four Courses, I'll be taking you along for the ride while I talk with the top talent of our time. In each conversation, I focus on four different areas from my guest's life and career. And during those four courses, I'm going to dig deep and uncover new insights and inspirations that we can all use to fuel ourselves to push forward. My guest for this episode is a world-class athlete and Olympian figure skater. He won the bronze medal in the 2018 Olympic Winter Games and was the first openly gay man to qualify for the U.S. team. Since retiring from competitive skating, he's been on Dancing with the Stars and co-hosts a comedy show with none other than Snooki. Without further delay, let's get into my conversation with Adam Rippon. Jeffrey, this is my honor and my pleasure. The only thing that I'm mad about is that I can't have a cigar with you. You like cigars? No, but I would would still have one with you. Are you kidding? For our first course, I wanted to ask Adam about overcoming some serious challenges as a kid. He was born nearly deaf at birth. His appendix burst when he was just five, and he struggled with a severe respiratory condition. I wanted to know... How in the world did he turn all that into an incredible skating career? So I had to ask you, I was reading about your mom and, and your upbringing. And I was, you know, I always think about like, I'm very much into nutrition and health. And obviously this, we, we talk food too on the show, but you know, you had some really serious challenges as, as a kid growing up with your health. Mm. And then you got into the most well, I was just watching you at uh, the 2018 Olympics. I watched it a couple of times and we'll comment on that later, but I was watching the physicality. I'm like, how in God's name did you go from how you started to be in such shape? And, <laughs> and you know, it, it, you're only 31. So there's not like, yeah. there's a, I mean, at, at the point where you were skating, you were skating that good probably like, you know, in your early teens, late teens. And then yes. how did that, how, how did you, recover all those things. I mean, that's just amazing. Well, I think um, when I was young, like when I was super young, I was always sick. And um, I was in and out of the hospital. I mean, for a really young kid, it felt pretty often. So like, I remember like missing chunks of preschool and kindergarten because I was in the hospital. But like a good Irish immigrant from Scranton, Pennsylvania, I was resilient. And I said, no. I said, listen, 
those freeze-dried potatoes I've been eating for the past five years, they are going to kind of get me through this. And they did. And I actually, by the time I was six, I was a body made of canned green beans and fish sticks. And that's kind of what really got me through to where I am today. And is that why your mom, Kelly, was, uh, is that because of all the travel you did to practice? What was dining like? I mean, what, what happened in the kitchen at your house? I mean, so, okay, by the time I was 15, I wasn't living at home anymore. I was living right. with like different families and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's funny to think about like what dinners were like in the early 90s when I was like growing up because, you know, they, we had like a lot of hamburger helper and so many of the like iconic 90s dinners stuff. I'm one of six. I'm the oldest. So like there were always like young babies around when I was growing up. So my mom, it was like truly like getting a cafeteria together when we would have dinner. And then when I started moving around, I lived with a lot of different families and got to kind of experience what their cuisine was like. And then I lived with my Russian coach for a while. So I lived with her for a few years. And so then I was really having a lot of like different like Russian dishes that like now when I see them, I get that like, oh my God, those are my childhood dishes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so which ones, which dishes, like pierogies and- what, stuffed cabbage? Yeah, stuffed cabbage, the pierogies, and then all, all of these, a lot of soups. And I think that like- um, Yeah, good ton- soups, dense, deep, yes, uh, and nutritious. Even if, yeah, and a, like every soup had like a grain or something in it and it mm. to make it heavier. And you could tell like, oh, yeah. this is like Soviet, like we need to make it all, they have the biggest punch. And so there's so many different like vegetable soups. There's one vegetable soup. I can't remember what it was. It was my favorite. So like, that's a tragedy for me that I can't remember, but it's how I realized that beets are good because I would have borscht. My mom was Polish and Russian. And I remember the soup she used to make and she made beet soup. She made barley soup. And I also remember that they were just as good cold as they were hot. So yes. if the thing ever cooled down, it was no problem. It was just so like, it would fill you up. And, and I imagine when you were having practice that Yelena would like, you need, you need my soup. You, you yes. got to practice four she, hours. She would. You and need you know, to eat my soup. There was a time, and I think that you will appreciate this, that I was making this effort that like Yelena, my first big coach, she made this one soup. I can't remember what it was, but it was delicious. And I ha was watching very carefully how she did it. And I was like, when I go home, I'm going to make it for everyone. So I started boiling like the vegetables and I was like making a stock. And I just kind of came to this crossroads of like, I couldn't remember if I was just supposed to boil the vegetables because like they just needed to get softer or like what it, I just, I blanked. And I, I, well, you know, I'll say I cracked and I couldn't handle the pressure of of making this soup because I took the vegetables and I was like, okay, the vegetables, they were just supposed to be soft. So I took the whole stock and just dumped the whole stock out, which I think I needed it because when I tasted the soup, it was bad. I'll be honest. <laughs> but you're, you're in great shape now. So something worked, right? Yeah. So something worked. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was so dumping the stock. So, you, so from, from, from TV dinners to Russian staples to what is your favorite right now? So you're like, what is your grab and go? What is your dinner when you go out? Where do you go? I mean, it's endless, right? LA has greatest food. Yes, it does. I think here in LA, like fish is so good. It's always so fresh. But like, I think also like, I never liked fish growing up, but you know, when you eat fish, like from the Midwest and it's just like, yeah, it's fish sticks. It's, yeah, basically fish sticks, or it's like jerky. Yeah. You're like, how is it this? It is jerky, this I is, know. This is really tough. And when you have really good fish for the first time, it's it's really good. So that's always my favorite thing to, like, if, I, if I'm if i like, oh, we don't know what to go or where to get food, I'll always get fish. And I think wherever you live, you end up staying in, like, that pocket for, yep. like, when yep. you, you want to go out and stuff. So I used to live on the west side, but now I live on the east side. I live, I live in um, Pasadena now. I obviously like I love Hillstone restaurants. So like I live right near Houston's. I can't I can't beat it. It's so good. I when the first time I ever went to a Houston's, I went, oh my God, this is like adult version of Outback Steakhouse. This is adult same guy. Version it's the same out, guy. Out, <laughs> yes. Because like he knows. Outback Steakhouse is the Scranton to Los Angeles. Wow. 
Right. That's, we get a, we, that is perfect. Get a pen, right? <laughs> I have one right here. Right. <laughs> I write yeah. in pencil only. Yeah. We come from similar backgrounds, I think. Okay. Uh, a little later in life, obviously, but Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Worcester, Massachusetts, really sort of have the same, you know, vowelistic ring to them, don't you think? I, I agree, and I think I think they both give me the same visceral reaction. Yeah. So, what is your reaction? Okay. Well, I know that this isn't a visual medium, but when you said "yeah," I just want to paint a picture for the viewer that you're all of your teeth, all perfectly white. <laughs> We're gritting <laughs> against each other, and I could hear it in yeah. my microphone. And that's the same visceral reaction that I have, like a ooh, like an ouch. Yeah, ouch. Ouch. Yeah, Worcester, Worcester was, you know, I guess it's good because, right, I think it was so limiting, and I think maybe Scranton was for you too, I don't know, but it was so limiting, it was limitless in kind of a funny way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And Worcester is because this is a cooking podcast. Is a great sauce. Worcester sauce. We yes. don't even say Shire anymore. We just no. say Worcester sauce. No, we dropped it. And we collectively so, the cooking community uh, that I'm a part of now. I mean, it's, it's so you're like, well, you have the Houston's thing, but the Houston's probably the Americana part of it. So you it's have the, the Americana, Americana. Yes, it's the Scranton in you. Yes, so you're Scranton, LA, but Scranton with a, an asterisk. Which is yes, Houston's. O- over the <laughs> Scranton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In our second course, I had to understand how Adam managed to become a world-class figure skater as a kid growing up in a small town, Scranton. He told me about the sacrifices that he, his mother, and his siblings all made and the personal growth that came as a result. So I was right. I was like, I was trying to imagine your mom cooking for you and driving you all those miles and hours yeah. with your other siblings to go mm-hmm. to practice. Yes. Why may I ask that you take all the siblings was to set an example for the siblings and your, and your determination and your, your practice, or was it because she had to? Well, it, it's like not everyone all at once. So it would be like everything needed to be coordinated with everyone's schedule. So sometimes it would be like two of my siblings would come to this practice because they would need to do something right after or one or none. And when I was like training a lot, when I was young and still at home and going between Scranton and Philadelphia, which is like a two hour drive, like a hundred miles-ish. Yeah. So my mom had just had a baby. So she was bringing like my newborn brother and one of the younger siblings under that who wasn't old enough to be in school. So it wasn't everybody, but like there was a lot. I mean, there was like three of us. So how do you, that's so much work. It is so much work. I mean, when in retrospect, when I like think back at it, one, I'm 31. And so my mom was like 28, 29 when she had me. And I'm like, I could not imagine having two kids now, Jeffrey. No, I'd be, it'd be over for me. I had three and over 50, I had them. Wow. Yeah, hot, real, the real okay, way. Okay, <laughs> young gun, wow. It's just amazing, but I, I know what it takes. And, you know, obviously she was a coach, so she knew too. She knew like, all right, this is, this is the game plan. Everybody just get out of the way. We don't need to figure this out. I've got it figured out. This is how you're going to be great. Because she noticed one sort of natural pivot or balance that you must have had that she said, something's here, right? I think that like, I was always like a smaller kid. And so every, and I did a little bit of everything and I liked everything, but there was just always a point where I just completely lost interest in it. But I really liked skating. And I re- I realized I really liked skating because I was taking tennis lessons at the same time. And <laughs> our tennis coach was like, who's the best tennis player in the world? And I was like, you are. And he was like, no, who really is? And I was like, I have no idea. And he said this thing where he was like, if you really love something, you'll learn all about it. You'll know everything. You'll know all the people who play it. And I remembered that. And I was like, I have no clue who plays tennis. Mm -hmm. And then when I started skating, I wanted to know everything about it. And that's when it really clicked for me. I was like, oh my God, what my tennis coach said, he was right. When you love something, like you'll be so entranced by it that you'll want to learn everything. And that's when I really knew that I loved skating. And um, 
you know, my mom was always like, if there was something that we really liked, we had to show her and prove that we would do like whatever it took to make that happen. Like I remember to go to the rink in the morning. You know, my mom was like, everybody needs to get ready for school. I can't just take you. So I would wake everyone up at like 4.30 in the morning. Oh my Um, goodness. But I would like panic them and be like, you're late for school. And like, I would make everybody get up and like get them all dressed to make sure all their lunches were made so that it would be like five o'clock, 5.15 and I'd wake my mom up and be like, can you take me to the rink? Everybody's already ready for school. And they're just like watching TV. Everybody's ready, but like, can we go? So I I would do like things like that all the time just to make sure that there was no reason why I wouldn't be able to go to the rink. And then by the time I was like 12 or 13, I was taking the Greyhound bus because I needed to go to Philadelphia for the entire week instead of for just like a day or two when my mom would drive me like on a Tuesday or a Thursday. And so, you know, my mom couldn't just leave everyone. So I would take the Greyhound bus in downtown Scranton and then I would take it all the way to Philadelphia and someone would pick me up where I would like walk to a rink and then um, I would like be with the family for the rest of the week. So it was just like, if you wanted to do it, you needed to, you know, be brave and like do these things. So yeah, it was always kind of instilled, you know, you have to make it work. Can you describe the sort of temperament you have to have to skate at that hour and so many hours and the stamina and the cold and just describe sort of what it's like and how it's so easy just to say, you know, this is just too cold. I don't want to do this. It is. Listen, if I were to describe it, it sounds like something I would never want to do because like (laughs) you're, you're, (laughs) you're tired. Like there were little tricks that I would do like every morning where it was like somehow like if you would go out to the rink and you'd have to skate for at least five minutes and then you could get off of the ice and go back into the lobby where it was warm and just sit for five minutes. Somehow when you got back out there, it didn't feel as cold. It's cold. So that would be the first trick. Next trick would be once I'm like halfway through, get off the ice and like run my hands under like hot water. Then like put your gloves back on, go back out and you feel a little bit warmer. But it was horrible. Like it's horrible, but like at the end of the day, you love it. It's something that's fun. It's enjoyable. But there's like a lot. And and when you're young, it's always in the morning because you have to go before school and after school. But when I started to become more serious and like a higher level, usually I would practice during the day. So it was, it, I, I'll tell you, being tired and cold is the worst combination on planet Earth. It, it really is. And so when did you know, what was that moment? That you said you knew that, like, I'm really good at this. I think there is, there might be a little, you know, there were like tragic, I call them tragic moments. <laughs> like, all right, I did, I missed that, but my miss was much better than most people's hit. Yeah. I think that there were like little moments where I'm like, oh, I might be good at this. And I think it was like when I first started, I was like doing things that everybody else was kind of doing, only I had just started. And I was like, oh, I, I might be kind of good at this. And then mm-hmm. I think I really didn't have like a moment of, oh, I'm really good until maybe I was like, maybe once when I was like 15, when I started to land some triple jumps. And then maybe when, again, when I was like 18, when I won a world junior title. And I think that's when I was like, okay, wait, I might actually be able to like do this. And I think that's when everything started to feel a little bit more real rather than just like- and were you, a, were you tra- uh, training with Rafai at that time? Your, tr- your coach? So from Philadelphia, there were a few years of like where I was in Toronto and then I was in Detroit. And then I was with Raphael the last six years of my career. So I wasn't with Raphael at this point yet. But, you know, Raphael, he kind of, I started working with him at like a interesting time in my career because things weren't going great. And he is this like Armenian guy. He's very funny and he's one of my favorite people on the earth. But he always says like, these skaters always come to me like it's the ER, like emergency. <laughs> they need help before before they die. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I came to you. Like at like ER level before I died. Well, who, who recommended him to you? It was a friend of mine. How do you get, how do you get a coach? How do you just... Find you, a coach. If you literally, this craziest thing about skating, which is why I think sometimes the parents can be really intense and all of that. Well, they have to be because it's like you're asking somebody who has no experience in a field to be an expert and to not only be an expert, to like manage somebody's entire career. So, like, if and you emotion, and emotions, right? 
Oh, yes. So if you wanted to like work with Raphael, you yourself, I could give you his phone number and you could be like, I want a lesson. And he would see if he has time and just schedule you. It's wow. like that. It's, and sometimes it's like building the connections to other people to like get that contact yeah. or like meeting them or doing a seminar or yeah. something. But it can be as like unceremonious as like, hi, I found your number. Do you have to? <laughs> but I, so I'm looking at all these practices and all this road work and changes and cold and sort of barbaric, you know, workouts. How do you have a social life? How did your social life sort of interact? And, and how did you sort of bring that to like, and I watch you skate and you're so expressive and it looks like you've been around people your entire life all the time. It looks like you've done nothing but like socialize. But here you are a product of like hours in a cold rink completely alone or on a bus or driving for six or eight hours a day. How, yeah. how does that happen? I think that it was like life experience. Because I, I think one of the things that was so helpful is that in something that is so isolating, I needed to put myself out there all the time. If you're on the bus and you fall asleep and you're on the Greyhound bus, you need to walk up to the driver and go like, what stop are we at? Or like, <laughs> you have to get on the bus and hey, is that seat taken? Can I sit there with like all your bags on your seat? And Or like, there's a lot of like little things. And then like when I got older and I was living in California, I was, you know, trying to pay for all of my skating, there were really uncomfortable conversations that I needed to have with people I was working with. Like, hey, do you mind if I pay this bill later? I will prove to you that like I'm worth my word and everything. Like, is there something we can do? Like, can I work something out with you or something? So yeah. there were a lot of like really uncomfortable conversations, but I think that you grow a lot from those of of being put in those really odd and sometimes really uncomfortable places that they really help you to like firmly stand on your own two feet of like okay I have to just like suck it up and do this right now yeah and it's really it's a great life experience I tell people like fail and go through chaos and confront chaos head on yes and and somehow confronting reality gives you a mastery of reality right you can't confront reality from sitting at home on your Instagram. You got to no. actually go out there and get and get pelted and figure out reality. And then you get really good at figuring out reality. And guess what? You get better at going through life and you don't be afraid anymore. And then guess what? You, it, it brings stuff to you from the universe, right? Totally. Yes. I even think in sports, we're very often and commonly asked, like, what's a defining moment in your career? And I have two of them. And the both of them are like times where I was the worst, and I just skated so bad and I felt so embarrassed and so at my lowest in those moments. But like, they were my career defining moments of like, when I changed my perspective, I grew from them. And there was one where I was like 16 and I did really badly at a nationals. And then the, the other really defining moment was like missing an Olympic team for the second time. Those two moments really changed my whole perspective of who I was. Not immediately, obviously, because like in the moment, I'm like, this is terrible. But in hindsight, like I look back and I'm like, the reason I like am who I am today is because of those moments where I failed. Absolutely. And I was, you know, watching you skate and I'm like, wow, every single 30,000 people, 60,000 eyeballs, and they're all looking for flaws, they're all yeah. waiting. For, no, that's all. They, it's like, okay, I'm out here. Pick me apart. Destroy me. It's just, I watch it. And I'm like, oh my good Lord, you must have such a constitution to say, saying, I'm going to lay it all out here. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. At some point, I think it's important to just think it's like, it's okay. I just doesn't matter. It's tough. I think like there's, I think the closest sport I can think, I think gymnastics is a bit like it. And I think golf is a lot like it where it's like- I was going to say that. It's so much like golf where it's like, everybody's just watching you and you're doing this one thing that takes less than half a second. And you have to be like smart enough to know what's going on and dumb enough to not care. Yes. And it's that perfect balance of being reckless and being brave. Yeah, no, you're getting chaos in order, but in a way that is, seems that it's workable. And I, think, I, I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of time and hours that people have to work at getting good at their craft. And yeah. once you get good at getting good at your craft, 
it it's it's it gets in you and you can't let it go and and I think that even if the craft is even if you're changing your craft and you're doing acting and you're doing all this other stuff now but it's the same craft you notice what you're doing it's the crafting of your crafting from the past well it's all like it's interesting how I feel everything from like my skating career and my like from being an athlete, everything has translated and it's taken me a while to figure out how it has, but everything's translated. So like when I do things that are like more in the comedy space, I think like the being able to perform is so vital. And I think like the one thing about skating where it's like you, you like start in your position and you just, it's, you go. And if you feel awful, like you'll be awful. But like, if you're talking in front of people, I think that that can be a little bit more like living and breathing where you can change course. You can change, you know, the way that things are going. You can kind of feel the energy around you and how people are responding to things. But like when you're skating, it's like, you have what you have planned and, and you know, it's just like, sometimes you're just like the three violinists on the Titanic and you're just like, <laughs> I guess this is how we're going down. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. For our third course... I got to ask Adam about his amazing performance at the 2018 Olympics. I wanted to know how he managed to make figure skating look so elegant and yet so powerful and hear what it takes to compete at that elite level. I read, your, I read a lot about you and then I went and I watched uh, the 18 performance. And what I saw, it, obviously you get colored when you read stuff, but I, I, I wanted to just express this because I think it's really important for the story. First of all, part one is that five or six minute performance you did was so choreographed, yet it looked so natural. And people don't realize that 
the hours that every single second has a different motion to it, A, and how you have to practice that and do it over and over again. It's almost that you must be so sick of that song. <laughs> hearing that stuff, but you're never going to listen to that again. It's like Frank, it's like Frank Sinatra singing my way. He used yes. to hate, he, used to, he said he hated that song because he had to sing it, but everybody loved that song. So you had to keep singing it. That was number one. Number two was I was profoundly affected by how you got out of those turns without getting dizzy. Okay. So and I'm like, how actually, does he go from being dizzy to this graceful sort of other movement without like spinning in his brain? How does that happen? So Jeffrey, let me teach you about this. Mm. So please, this, because I know that when I drink too much, the next time I'm spinning, this is a different spinning. <laughs> Sometimes when you drink too much, you get less dizzy if you think about it. I do for one. So, wow. so how's that happen? I, I don't know. So the reason that a skater can spin so fast and then you like get out of it and they look not dizzy, you are dizzy. But the uh, speed at which somebody who has repeatedly, this is true, repeatedly put their brain through the trauma of the spin, the brain can recover faster. And it's the same training that they put astronauts oh through. Oh my God. So- it's if like the they, G-force with the face, like. Yes, it is completely that. So like, if you like, there's a, this training thing where like, you know, you've seen it where they put the astronaut in the chair and they spin the chair around. Yes. If they do it with someone who isn't like trained and there's like a camera right in front of them, the astronaut, their eyes will just go like back and forth like this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then they'll settle quickly. And if it's somebody who isn't trained and does is not used to that like trauma, their eyes like jet all over the place trying to find balance. But it's something that the to find brain the horizon. Yes, the the body naturally will learn how to find its balance faster, and that's how a skater uh, can spin and they don't look dizzy. You are dizzy, and you don't. So you're your dizzy. Eyes, yes, you don't yeah, know where you, you are, are but you're balanced. And when you're, when you can have, you don't lose your balance and that's the biggest thing. So it's like, I, if I would get out of something and it like looks really nice about three seconds later, I'm not dizzy at all anymore. Wow. But I am immediately after. Yes. Wow. I mean, I, now I'm noticing that with every, like now that you're going to say that I'm noticing it. It's sort of the same thing when you're on a boat and you don't want to get seasick. And they said, never look at an object and try to, try to stop it. You just got to keep going with it. If you yes. look at the horizon and try to stop the boat, you're going to get seasick right away. Because we also don't, we like in skating, we don't spot. So a lot of like, which is basically like if you have have one focal point and you always like turn your head to find that because like we do so many rotations. So like a trick that I would always do is like you find something that's like stationary, which if you're spinning would be like maybe a hand in front of you or like your knee so you don't focus on like everything being blurry everything around else. you. Yes. And then like when you get out of it, you look for some really key thing that's also around you, like a sign on the dasher boards or like a specific like judge in the corner. But you do it so that you can adjust really quickly and you're never like disoriented. So the third out of part three, out of the four things I, I, rec I saw was the physicality and the strength of mm. your your legs and your your core, which is everything now is core, right? It's a whole world yes. talks about core. What did you do? Did you work out every day? Did you do legs? Did you lift weights? How did you keep that core and those uh, and your legs so strong? So so much of the training is like on the ice. Um, mm. That being said, like everything that we do is like one direction. So if we, we land and we do all of these jumps and everything will like land on the right side. So like a typical skater, if like they were working with a therapist, their whole, for me, cause like I would, I was right. If you're like right-handed or right side dominant, you'll jump one direction and left side vice versa. So I was right side dominant. So I'd land on my right leg. So when I would work with a therapist who had never worked with me before, I'd always be like, huh, this is interesting. Where like the whole right side of my body is like overdeveloped and more developed than the left. Mm -hmm. So a big important thing to do when we were off the ice would be to, yes, we would lift 
and do all of that stuff to like, you know, gain, you know, just more strength. But we would also do a lot of things that were just to do our best to equal out because when there is a big imbalance, you are more prone to injury, which is crazy because it's like our whole, we spend our whole life as a skater overdeveloping one side. And so then you have to kind of go off the ice and try to find that balance. So it is, it is interesting, like, like in that respect that everything was so you notice that Rafael Nadal, his left side of his arm is like this. He's like the Hulk. Yes. And his other arm is like, and I'm like, how what, How does that happen? You know, and then you notice what happened. It's really obvious. Yes. And so another thing for like us is that like we're so like bottom heavy that like our legs are really yep. developed, but we need to be so slight and so like as light as possible that like our upper bodies are like dried out raisins. And it looks like all the juice just went down. <laughs> so but you still need you still need this this structure to support. Basically, your, your... It, you need the core, but like your upper body, like as a skater. When I was skating, it was like no chest, no arms. Arms do not help you. They are like directional. They can put a. They can put move your shoulders. They can like help you tilt and lean, but like arm strength doesn't serve you. At all. Mm. So it's sort of like a, a ballerina. The décolletage is beautiful and it's like this, but it's really, it's the waist down that is really controlling everything. Yes. Because like we can use our arms to help us and move us and gain momentum. But like they're like an exercise that people would do like on the ice would be like you would do things and you'd like cross your arms and not move them at all or not even use them. And you can still mm. do elements. It's much harder because like that momentum is still helpful, but like they aren't. The biggest thing is like, don't let them get in your way. So the last part of this is what, when I watched that was the first, this is the last part that I'm going to talk about where it was the first thing that I noticed. And this is, I guess, a reverse compliment. I didn't notice the technique. It was flawless. I didn't notice the workout or the practice. It was flawless. What I noticed was the incredible symmetry with the music and the, and the, the dance, it was extraordinarily theatrical and dance-like versus a skating. Mm. I didn't even, I didn't notice you were skating until halfway in it when you started to twirl. <laughs> so it was like, I really saw this uh, sort of entertainment, theat theatrical dance part of it more than I've ever seen in, a, in, a, in a, a lot of dancers. And it seems to me that it's something that you're doing right now, which seems very exciting to you. There's a sense of like, this theatricality, this entertainment, this lifestyle, this sort of like really loving it. It's almost like you're, you're dancing for us instead of skating for us. And that's what I noticed right off the bat. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense. I think like I, I, as a competitor, I needed to figure out like what made me feel comfortable in like that space. And I am, I'm really competitive but like I needed to find which, it, how that served me. So I would be really competitive if I knew that I could put on like the best performance. So I always focused on everything that like, everything was like a show. It was all entertainment. Yep. And my main focus always had to be like, I had to entertain everyone. Which when I, the things that I do now has translated very well. And it's helped me a lot in all of these other things. Cause like, that's always my main focus of like, and, and when I was at home in practice, I would make sure that I was like performing full out every day so that like when I went to a competition, it was just normal. It was like the way that I had just done it. It wasn't like I needed to do anything special. And I think doing that every day is really exhausting, but it, creates this muscle of like being able to like be there when you need to be there and like turn it on right away and or, or or you know be able to do things where it looks like it's full of emotion when really you're just like dead inside which I am <laughs> I I hardly think that but I I just thought it was such a reserved I it was so wonderful you you I could tell you were holding back in a way that really made it so powerfully interesting. It was like, wow, this this is like, he's on six, this is not even 10, but the dancing and the entertainment is like on 12. And I was like, wow, this is like real, like a real entertainer. And I don't mean that in any way other than like, that is brilliant entertaining. And it was almost like the skating was secondary. 
It was almost like you were inhabiting two bodies. Well, th- that's very sweet of you. Thank you. And But I, I do want to compliment you and say that that's a very great analyzation of the way that I truly felt like I would. Because like I, if I tried to go out of 10, it was too, like I felt like, you, I don't think anyone can. But like, it was just being like present enough to be like at, because, okay, when I would train at home, and not everybody is like this, I would have to train at 100% so that like if when I went to competition for me to feel in control, I would compete at 85. But if you're going 100 every day, what your version of 85 is, is so much higher than it would be if you were training at 75 every day. So I always needed to take it down a notch because I would get really into it or like overcompensate in different ways. So like when I was at home, it was like balls to the wall. But when I'd be in competition, it needed to just be a little bit more coy and a little bit more like in on myself of like, okay, you've got it. Like you, this is, it was, it becomes like a little bit more fun. It's also, you know, when you, when you, I guess, are doing anything, when you run a restaurant and you walk into the restaurant, the lighting's great, the music's beautiful, the person at the desk is great, takes care of you, you get your drink first, everything's grown great, and the food's really good. It's not the best food you've ever had, but the whole experience is like, I'm coming back here again. And yes. it's like, it's that. It's like, you can't be perfect at everything. It's just not possible. And it's not human and real, and people don't respond to it. Those people responded to your, your the words you know, it's almost, there's almost cinematography, cinematography in the, in the, in how you danced that was so captivating, right? And it wasn't that we're waiting for this big twirl. Will he make it? Will he make it? Will he fall? I wasn't thinking that. I was like, this is just fantastic to watch. It was like, so, it was so connected and it was like, it made so much sense. And I was like, wow, I, I've noticed the difference between other skaters who it's like hit, hit this, hit two, hit six, hit five, hit six, rinse and repeat, more music, bring it up, crescendo down, hello. And that's yeah. what I'm used to because it's, it's what's fed a lot of the, the anachronistic sort of performance uh, skating. Yeah, well, I mean, we should get you on a judging panel and it's a shame that you <laughs> weren't on mine at the Olympics because I really could have used some of this hype. I would have put I'm up really... the, the 12 yeah. or whatever the hell it had. <laughs> uh, if there's a 12, yes. I would have put it up. I, and I'm I like, appreciate this guy's that. good. Everybody, come over here. This guy is, <laughs> look at this guy. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. And I could have used it, but <laughs> hindsight's everything, 20 Everything is going as it should be. The yes, universe agreed. is the right place for you right now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. For our fourth and final course, I caught up with Adam about life in L.A., with competitive skating officially in his rearview mirror, he seems to have transitioned well into life outside the rink with a published memoir, two new TV shows, and a Finnish fiancé. You're so busy. So tell me, you, you're newly engaged. You have a show on MTV. You wrote a book. Is there anything you're not doing? Did I miss something? No, that's, that's everything. Yeah. Let us in on all this a little bit. Just a little bit. You don't have to say a lot. Okay, I I'm engaged. My fiance, he's so great, so funny. Like, w- listen, one day when I come and I visit you in Florida, because now I ha- I'm going to do it. You got to um, come. Yeah, I'm going to come. You'll meet JP. You'll love JP. I'm sure. I can already tell. And, so, how do you pronounce his name? I was trying to pronounce, but I decided not making myself an idiot and okay. trying to say it. <laughs> but I'm let me. I'm going to try. Okay, please. Yes, and I'm uh, sure. I think you're going to be right. Yossi Pekka Kajala. That's very, that's very close. So his, like his, it would just be like Yossi Pekka Kajala. Oh, it's Okay, yeah. so it's you. So it's, I was questioning because sometimes the U is silent or sharp in different countries. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And they put two U's to say Yossi. In this one, they put two S's. So yes. Yossi Pekka Kala, Kalaya. Kalaya? Ka- Kayala. Kayala. Yeah. So what is this? Is is it J.K.? Is that his nickname? Come on. Yeah, I just call him J.P. Because that J.P. You, okay, you, good. That's UC good. Pekka JP. is like that's like if it were like an English name, it'd be like Mary Teresa. Like it's like okay, this, I got it's it. a full it's like name. Two first names. Okay. Yeah. So let's go. So Finland and where, how, are you? Are you in this L.A. together? So okay, this is so we met when I, I was at a competition. I think almost like five years ago at this point, and I was on Tinder. So I was obviously very focused mm-hmm. on the competition at hand. Yeah, and so we met. You were looking for a Houston's to go to dinner. At, I right? needed to go to a Houston's in Helsinki, <laughs> which I still haven't. <laughs> they found. didn't have any, so I went on Tinder. Yeah, exactly. And so we uh, we matched, but we never met. Talked for months, and then he came and he visited me. We hit it off. Um, really well. And so uh, we were planning to like get married last summer. Uh, we're also just like going to a courthouse. Like I know that like I'm in this like room with like uh, a mugshot behind me, but uh, we just wanted to just go to a courthouse. And then with the pandemic and everything didn't pan out. So we applied for a K-1 visa for him because he's Finnish. Uh, and so that process usually takes about like nine to nine months to a year. But with everything, it's been about a year and a half. Um, so I've seen him twice in the last like year and a half. Oh, no. It's been, you know, it's been difficult at times, but like we've both really have stayed focused on like mm-hmm. one, I think like knowing that like this will come to an end soon and like there's a light at the end of the tunnel for our like mm-hmm. him living far that like we've, that's been really helpful. And like, we've all, we both like have really focused on like our own careers and things so that like when we're able to like live together, it'll be really nice. And we've put a lot of time into ourselves, which has been great. And yeah, and I guess the other big thing was that like, uh, I have this show on MTV, it's called Messiness. What, what, I try, ask my producer, I'm like, okay, so what's, what, what's what, tell me what it is. And he said, well, like, it's like the right. old show, Ridiculous. And I'm like, well, what was that? I was like, come on, I'm gonna let him tell me. Okay. Go. 
Okay, so Messiness is a spinoff of Ridiculousness, which was a show where like they would play these clips and there's just kind of like a back and forth of the panelists. I think what makes Messiness a little bit different is that on the show, it's me, Nicole Polizzi, who's famously known as Snooki, is the host, Tori Spelling, and then there's a comedian. His name is Teddy Ray, who is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Where do you film it? We film it uh, here in Los Angeles at Havenhurst Studios in Van Nuys. And uh, so we we film it out there. And basically, it's, it's sort of, it was started out as like the brainchild of ridiculousness, but because it's the four of us up there, we're like... Th- four complete idiots and we just go back and forth and we just like have tell really great stories and we like make each other laugh the whole time. So we have so much fun filming it. And um, we had our first 10 episodes come out a little while ago. We'll have the next 10 come out soon. But like we, it's, I've, I've even enjoyed watching it, which like, I don't, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I can watch myself, but like sometimes I'll watch the show and I'll be like, it is actually fun. So that's my endorsement of my own show. It's actually fun. So the first season, is it out? It's come out? Yes, it's half out. So it's 20 episodes. So like our our first 10 are out and our second 10 will be out in probably a month or two. Congratulations on that. That's incredible. Uh, And you're hosting there. You're a host with Snooki. Yes, she's our main host. She's our president, basically. And uh, we'll do whatever she says for better or worse, which I think sometimes it is worse. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I remember Snooki from a long time ago and everyone said that show is never going to last. And look what happens, you know, it's just the I mean, funniest I, thing. I will say she's exactly who you think she is. And with that, I'll say she is one of the, <laughs> I'm dead serious. She's one of the most professional people I've ever worked with on time shows up to do like the, the job. She does it really well. She's fully present. She's so nice to everyone. I mean, it makes sense. Listen, if you can be like arrested on the beach as a you know, know. 21-year-old girl and you can make a career out of it, like you've had to have done a few things like to, to like grow yeah. up and like really like do well for yourself. And she is, she, I, I dead serious, one of the most professional people I've ever, ever worked with. Couldn't, I That's couldn't say like, enough good things about yeah. her. I, I call people like that conscious because there's very, very few people that are actually conscious about life. They're just not. Yes. And when you very, meet them, they, 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 they're like, they're, they're come down the street and they're like shining because they're like, this is a conscious person. I, yes. I'm going to like this person. We're going to get along. So tell me about the book, Beautiful on the Outside. So I wrote this book right after the Olympics. And I think I knew that I wanted to write it because it felt like the only way I was going to sit down and really process what had happened. Because the Olympics is like whiplash. It's something that you like wait your entire life for. And then in the course of two weeks, it happens, it's over. And then all of a sudden, like you feel like that big thing. What have I been doing for two years? Exactly. Like it's so crazy. So I um, had this opportunity to write the book and I was like, I have to do it because I think it'll be like the only way I actually like really think about everything that's happened in my whole career and life to this point. And I was going to say until the next book. Exactly. Because it's going to be a series of memoirs. Has to be. (laughs) At 31, I think you wrote it at 29. I think at 31, there's at least two or three more books. um, At least, at least. So you're uh, sitting at home in LA in Pasadena. So how are you maintaining your, I know how you, you're maintaining your psychic health by making shows with Snooki. That's obvious. How yes, are you maintaining your obviously. physical, your physical being? How are you working on your body and your nutrition? And are you cooking at home yourself or do you strictly go out or you do a balanced balance of that? Are you, are you, you know, what, how do you come up with, a regimen that you started basically at 30. I mean, at 30, like people are just like in their normal life. And it's, 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 you're like, stop doing one thing that was very specific. And now how do you continue while keeping your, 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 your head together? I mean, physically, this is totally a great point because what I did was so specific to what I was doing at the time. 
So like, I mean, it was just like, be really slight. What I ate was super limited and I was working out all the time. And so from the time, this is a little bit nuts to think about, but from what I weighed at the Olympics to now I'm 20 pounds heavier. Even though I'm still like, you really might not be able to like see it on me. It's just how quickly, like, not quick. I mean, it took, it was like three years, but I was like very light and thin. Probably too thin at that, at that, for that, for a normal yes it's existence i think like to be really elite there are a lot of crazy things that aren't very healthy that you end up that end up feeling like very normal to you so like eating and things like that like really i needed to relearn it and i'm still like relearning it and and finding things that i like and trying things and so it's been like kind of rediscovering what that is and also like i did not work out for like two years like i could not go to the gym because it was like i didn't know how to just like go and just feel good about myself in the gym because it was like i couldn't go there and not feel like i was like training for the olympics yeah so now you go now I go. And I think the best thing was, was that like I worked with, I've been really lucky because there, there's this like little private gym at the rink that I used to train at. So I don't skate very often anymore, but I'll go down to the rink and I'll work with like one of the trainers. And I think what's been so great is like, I've never been able to do like upper body stuff. It's always been like lower, yeah. lower legs. So it's like, I've been learning a lot more about that. And it's been, I've, I've, I've learned to really love being in the gym and I think getting back into it and like learning more about like the switching up my nutrition has like really been great. And I would say it only got into it in the, like in this last year, this last year is probably the first time I feel like, okay, I have like my feet more on the ground. Because like but once the, you get into it and you get into the nutrition and the working, it's like addictive. Then you're like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And then yes. your brain sort of clears up in ways that it didn't before. 100%. And you probably find it doing something you probably will never, ever do. You might actually take up golf or something like that because that might mirror the skating, but without that stress and that like- you know, yeah. spinning, and I would, the constant spinning. <laughs> that trauma. Spinning. The trauma, Jeffrey. It's that trauma. Spin trauma. <laughs> I think uh, the, the biggest thing is just like, I think like from being an athlete to like working in entertainment, the biggest difference is that like as an athlete, like if, if you and myself were to sit down and you're like, okay, we're going to get ready for the next Olympics. I could say, okay. And I would let you know every event you were going to be doing. And I would let you know your whole entire schedule for the next four years. You would know everything. You'd be able to plan out every vacation, every day off. And um, in entertainment, you can be doing nothing for four months. And then you can be working every day for three weeks. And then yep. after that three weeks, it's like more chunks of time. So it was like- Yeah, very hard. Learning, yes. And, and learning how to like manage your time and learning how to like fill those spaces of like, how am I, because I'm still an athlete like at heart, like how, yes, do, I, of course how do I keep improving without knowing that those things are coming? So it was just like learning how to do that, which it's fun. And I feel like now more prepared for when I do anything. Wow. Well, that's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing with me. I mean, I we could go on and on, but that that's that's one book. You got at least three more books. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, tell the publisher. I'll give oh, you the yes, number. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, these shows are incredible. I can't I can't <laughs> wait to watch one of them, and I'm glad I, I learned that this one. Did I miss anything? There's an, is there another show you're doing as well? Or is it just uh, it's the uh, messiness? Uh, it's messiness. And then I, I sold a scripted comedy to NBC that we're working on with them. And I wrote it with like oh. two other really f- fabulous like writers. It was it was really great. When I wrote the book, I really fell in love with like writing. I always have loved like being funny with everyone, but like I didn't know what I was going to, how to write a book. So I worked with a ghostwriter at first because I was like, okay, I'll talk with them and they'll help me write it. And then I basically, I think it was, it turned into like a course on how to write. Where like they would help me like f- like set up how to build the story, and then I would go and I would like basically like rewrite everything and then send it back to them, and they'd be like change these few things, and it was like I- honestly it was like going to school, and it was the best thing, and and it really helped me. So like when we wanted to write this show, I felt like very confident that I was able to like write and and be funny like in written word on paper. So like that it was it was great. I loved it. I I uh, writing is a lot of fun too. 
I want to thank you so much. It was great, great talking to you. Have a wonderful day there in Pasadena. Thank you. And I'll come visit soon. Thank you, Jeffrey, so much. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jared Keller, and Tara Halper. Our executive producer is Christopher Heziotis. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler. Our research is conducted by Jessalyn Shields. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. This episode was edited and written by Priya Mahadevan and mixed by Joe Tisdall. Special thanks to Katie Fellman and Adam Rippon for help as recording engineers. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.